Hey, and welcome back to another episode of Biker Chick Chat. I'm your host, Biker Bethany, and I'm on a mission to find female riders from all over the planet to find out their stories of how they got into the motorcycle world. And on today's episode, I'm joined by Vicky Green from the UK. She's actually a friend of mine. We've worked together on Harley UK Bits and Bobs for the past few years now. She actually works for Harley Davidson UK in the marketing team. So she's got some great tips of how to get into working for Harley Davidson. She's got some incredible stories where she's done lots of trips, all different travel advice, and just general great chat. This is a bit of a long one. Vicky likes to go off on a tangent, but it's totally worth the listen. So let's jump straight into it and I hope you enjoy. Hey Vicky. Hey, how are you? I'm good, how are you? Yeah, good, thank you. Loving life, can't complain. Good, glad to hear it. Maybe complain about the weather a bit. You know, could always do with it being a bit warmer. (laughs) Classic Brit. (laughs) Should we talk about the weather for a bit? I feel like that's, <laughs> that's going to keep everyone so interested. <laughs> keep it British, you know. <laughs> oh, well, thanks so much for joining me today. I mean, I actually don't know where to start. I've got a million questions for you. Just fire them at me because <laughs> otherwise, the one thing you'll notice is I'm a talker. So if you don't just cut me off and ask me what you want to ask me, I'll chat shit all night. So just go. <laughs> Well, I guess my number one question would be, what is it like working for Harley-Davidson themselves? Ah, okay. So, well, for for full clarity, I actually work for their lead marketing agency. So we have been, RBP agency have been the retained agency for UK and Ireland, Harley-Davidson for gosh, like 15 years. So I was hugely, hugely excited to um, not only get the opportunity to be part of the team that work with Harley-Davidson on all their national marketing and their dealer support, um, but, you know, it, it it's life-changing, really. And for me especially, the one thing people don't understand is I actually were, I actually kind of lived, breathed, owned the brand before having any professional connection to them. So regardless of whether I worked with Harley, I was already owning a Harley, I was already riding a Harley, you know, all that kind of stuff. So that was quite literally dream come true situation where, um, yeah, I was, I was kind of headhunted for the role that I have now. So pretty amazing awesome that is so cool that is like the ultimate goal like a brand you love and then saying can you work for us yeah like when I told my friends they were literally like they could make a film like on how cheesy and like (laughs) (laughs) it was honestly one of those things that I just am so 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 grateful for uh so thankful for my md who kind of found me and put her trust in me and um yeah just for harley as well the guys are legends like the whole harley team it's a very small team which is why they have like an agency like us working with them the internal team's uh really nice and small but it means that everyone's super close super friendly um and as a brand i think you know sometimes sometimes people think oh big corp companies they're going to be full of like dudes in suits that don't care but like the whole team are owners riders like passionate and 
you know, it's a super cheesy saying you've probably heard 104 times, like, cut me open, I bleed orange and black. But genuinely, like everyone, everyone, my, everyone in my agency, everyone in Harley, it's it's like a family. So yeah, That's just awesome. so grateful. That's really lovely to hear because like you say, with it being a corporate company, you never quite know what to expect. Like these, so many companies like show you what they think you want to see and you don't actually know what's going on inside there for sure and what I would say as well is like there are so many women in the in the brand and in the company and that to me was really important because again I think you get some brands that say we want diversity we want equality you know we want to see women and you're like okay this is 10 dudes having this conversation with me like can you see where the problem is like you know it's like you can say you want all these tick boxes ticked but actually if you're not employing those people if you're not living that truth then say whatever you want to say it's it's not going to come through so for me like in in two key positions in Harley in the CEL and which is their customer experience lead and their marketing lead they're both young females that both ride and to me I'm like yes yes and yes like it's just so important so yeah that's awesome because it's still like when you talk to you know a non-Harley person when they think of Harleys it's still that classic old geezer massive beard (laughs) overweight yeah exactly people just don't pair women particularly with Harleys as a brand and it's like it's such an old-fashioned way of thinking, though, because there are a lot of really cool ladies out there now, like, repping the brand. 100%. And, you know, I do understand where that stems from. You know, systemically, motorcycling is a male-dominated sport still, um, you know, whatever brand. And I feel like as we get into Harley, that selection of owners becomes, because it's a more premium brand, obviously it's often not the first bite people get. Um, You know, I'm lucky to be one of the anomalies that got into the brand because my husband owned and rode the brand. Um, I was a horse rider my whole life, actually. And my wonderful, wonderful last horse had to be put to sleep. And my father-in-law basically turned around and just said, you know, I'll gift you a bike if you want to learn to ride. And I was like, well, that's an offer you're not going to say no to. Yeah. Um, so, so I did. I did my license, and you know, it, long story short, Matt bought me my first Harley two days before I passed my mod two. So it sat in the garden with me like shit. If I fail, like <laughs> this bike is going to have to sit here for even longer. Um, luckily, didn't fail. Um, Good. But, but yeah, so it, it's one of those things where systemically the sport is male dominated and women come yeah. into it, you know, not necessarily as Harley being the first brand that, and this isn't just women, younger people come into it often with Harley not being the most affordable choice. You know, mm. it's like you learn to drive and you're not driving a Merc or a Porsche as your first car often. So, you know, there is always that battle. But as you say, there's such a prominent force of, badass women riders out there that I think it's so important to highlight when we do find people like that just to show that it's often relatable for some of those younger women that are keen to get into it or you know to get started 
Yeah, 100%. And, you know, it is that classic thing. It seems like most women that are getting into it now, it's like, you know, oh, my dad rides or, yeah, yeah. like my boyfriend rides. It still sort of comes from the male side. But that's absolutely fine. You know, it's still inspiring women. And like Instagram, for example, it has its pros and cons, but yeah. I love that there's this awesome community of women on there now and everyone can share the passion, share the love and like, you know, egg each other on. And that's Definitely. a really cool side. And I think like the one thing I'd say is really interesting about Harley and women is you know, we're the only manufacturer that has a recognized brand for its female riders. So, and, and I appreciate this is within its Harley owners group, so it's Hog community. So not everyone that owns a Harley will be a member of Hog. I ain't getting into that argument about the pros and cons. But what I would say, you know, as a, as a Hog member and as a super, super keen, um, you know, community member to try and drive that awareness, Harley is probably... Yeah, I don't want to say the only because someone's bound to correct me, but it's one of the only brands that has this Ladies of Harley branding that truly recognises that there is a space and a calling for women in the motorcycle industry. Mm. And that to me is so powerful. Like, you know, people don't really sometimes understand that a manufacturer has literally said we have ladies of Harley because we want to grow recognize support encourage that that kind of minority within that wider majority of male riders and um, I recently took on a voluntary role as the national LOH officer for HOG in the UK and Ireland and you know one of the things I want to do is actually promote equality not exclusivity so although I'm so pro like women riders I also don't want to move into positive discrimination where we then need to start kind of being super exclusive I think there's a real place for just you know I'd love to be in a space where you rock up to a bike meet and you are likely to see 50% men and 50% women like then gender is not an issue that is where we need to get to but what I'm loving is currently the minority of women riders are so supportive of other women riders mm. that that's what's growing it. So eventually I'd love to get to a point where we no longer have to say female rider because actually it really doesn't matter and you're so going to see this 50-50 split. But I mean, I, I reckon we're a good few bloody years away from that yeah <laughs> yeah definitely and uh, in this country as well like you know when you look at the states for example obviously it's the home of harley and you know yeah. florida regions and stuff they've got amazing weather so much of the time it just allows you to live that proper lifestyle all the time so exactly. i fully get it you know there's going to be more yeah. girls there just based off of that I mean, because I'm not going to lie, Vicky, I'm not really a winter rider. Like, I don't want to go out and just be thinking I'm cold the whole time because I that's what I end I up doing. <laughs> For sure. And, and actually, hilariously, I am one of those people. Like, I do not do cold weather. Born in Hong Kong, where it was like bloody 30 degrees all the time, like coming here, like, I love it in the UK when it's like 16 degrees and people are like, T-shirt weather. I'm like, you're all insane. That is still winter temperatures. <laughs> like, that is not summer. Um, so I actually am 
a huge fan of heated gear. So I joke that I might as well be a bake in the bag chicken because I have heated jacket, heated leggings, heated gloves, and they all plug into each other. And I plug into my bike and I am a little jacket potato. Perfect. Because I can't do it. Otherwise, I can't. Yeah, I'm exactly the same as you. Like I've just been looking into getting some heated gear because, I mean, if it's icy on the roads, I just generally wouldn't go out in that anyway. Yeah. But there has been the odd day of, oh, hang on a minute, the sun's out today. It looks super nice out there, but it's like two degrees. So yes. how it's, you know, it's a mess up in my head. I'm like, don't know how to feel about this situation. For sure. Definitely. And, and I do think like also all the salt and the crap and like, mm. Mm, you know, that, that kind of stuff is, a, is an influence on whether I'll drag a bike out because then you've got to wash it. And oh, it's yeah. just so much drama. <laughs> I know, but that is what our boyfriends are for, I think. Well, yes, yes, I, I yeah. In fact, he'll hate me for saying this, but there's one hilarious video when we were in Ireland once. Um, I entered my bike into the Ladies of Harley category um, to go in the bike show because I think it was the year I just bought Big Red. I'd finished all my customizations on him, so I parked him up. But we'd toured there. We'd ridden there. We'd ridden from the UK all the way into Ireland. We toured all the way around the Wild Atlantic coast and then got to Kalani's Bike Fest. And I put my bike in and I said to Matt, shit. And I was helping with the bike show. So I was taking registrations and handing out numbers. And I said to Matt, I can't put Big Red in like this. Like, he looks gross. I was like, can you go and wash him? So, so off he went with this bike cleaner and all this. And um, I'll always remember, Derry came over and he says, I think that bloke's confused. He says he, he's cleaning his bike in the ladies section. Someone best go have a word with him. <laughs> And I turned around and said, sorry, that's my husband. Just just give him a bike a fetal. And he was like, oh, okay. And okay. I was like, thank you. Thanks. So, yeah, Matt is my resident bike valet. Oh, I think it's only fair. It's only fair. Yeah, <laughs> sure. Gets a cup of tea. <laughs> so worth it. <laughs> but, yeah, there is that side of it as well, isn't it? Like, Harley's there is this bit of a stigmatism around it that Harley's aren't designed to deal with you know that all these weathers that are thrown at it like they're not an outside store bike everyone knows you need to keep your Harley inside so yeah I think as well with stuff like that I feel like saying to people you know if you owned a Porsche you probably could keep it outside but you wouldn't want to and that's the thing that really bothers me is you get this kind of like almost negativity around like, oh, the bikes can't be stored outside. And I'm like, do you really want to? Yeah. Like it, I, there's nothing in me that wants to keep my bike outside in the crap weather and in, in the elements. So yeah, part like that always begrudges me when people also, or they'll throw in that you're not a real biker if you don't ride all year round. So I'm like, <laughs> I bike for fun. Like, I, you know, I don't have to bike. I have a car. Like, I'm not. So for me personally, can't speak for everyone, but it isn't about, you know, proving that I'm some hardcore biker that can ride all year round. For me, it's actually like I do this for leisure and 
for leisure I want to be warm and not covered in like road salt and but yeah yeah 100% I'm exactly the same as you like I mean I want to try and push myself and get out in different conditions to just improve my riding skills and stuff like that because unless you go like I've didn't I've rarely rarely been out in the rain like if it's raining I'm not intentionally going out I don't care what if it's warm or not you know um but I have been obviously caught out in the rain or gone out when it's been raining the day before and the roads are more slippery. And, you know, there's still that side of it that does make you think really, you know, you want to push yourself a little bit, don't you? But um, it's a tricky one. Yeah. And also, like you said, I think, you know, being caught out is very different to like setting out when it's pissing it down. Like, I mean, I don't know about anyone else, but I ain't about that life. Like, that's just not something that appeals to me. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think for me, some of my worst experiences with poor weather have been being caught out. Um, You know, talking about that island trip, when we came back, we got off the ferry. And in England, you know, surprisingly, it was pissing it down. And I mean, torrential rain. And we had about, I think it was about four, just over four hours to get home. And Matt and I just said, we're just going to ride until our tanks are empty, top them up and then get home. So we literally, and I remember I set my cruise on and I was tucked like behind Big Red's fairing. And I just kept thinking like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. And it was torrential rain. I was miserable, like actually miserable. Um, But yeah, that, it does make you, as you say, makes you a better rider, makes you more confident when you do get in situations. But yeah, yeah, I ain't yeah. setting out when it's raining. <laughs> I'm with you on that. So um, it, tell everyone what bike you actually ride. We've not covered that. Of course. So, um, well, I've got two. I kept my very first Sportster and his name is Rex. He is an XR1200, a flat track style inspired bike that came with this beautiful um, custom paint job with Harley Davidson Racing and all the rest of it. Um Rex is my first love and he will die with me like that sportster will never ever leave my life um and Big Red is my road glide special he is a hard candy red beautiful metal flake red road glide um and actually he was meant to be the workhorse because we do so much touring and we we do so many miles I was very much like oh god I'll keep them kind of three-ish years and then when they they're getting kind of high mileage I'll just kick them out and get a new one and we'll just keep cycling through um but I've done so much to Red and like I love him I genuinely love him and I feel like um so we were in Porto Oz for the um the the big hog rally uh, last June mm-hmm. and about four people sent me a picture of Big Red parked up on the street and bearing in mind this street had hundreds of bikes lying down both sides just parked side by side and one of my friends from the Bergamo chapter in Italy sent me a picture and said oh my god I've just seen Big Red where are you and I was like what <laughs> and then I had a couple of guys from the UK that I didn't know were going and they'd sent me pictures of Big Red like I can see your bike but I can't see you and I was like what so I just feel like he's like such a part of my identity now that I almost I've decided that if he gets super high mileage or you know Harley bring out some crazy new bike then I'm either gonna have to get bike number three and keep Big Red as well (laughs) (laughs) or I'm basically gonna end up sticking like a one-through-one crate motor 
you know, just pull out the engine. If he gets to like, say I've done like 80,000 miles on him or something cray, I'm just going to whip it out and stick like a 131 crate or something, you know, really Oof, just stick something like that in him and yeah. start again but that'd be cool oh mm. awesome so like what's your journey of you know starting with your sportster to ending up with a massive bagger my bike journey started with my sportster obviously um and I did a lot with him toured all around France rode him all around the country that was really the bike that kind of grew my confidence level both riding on my own in groups like it, it really, really kind of took me from being like kind of nervous new rider. Because although I'm one of those competitive people that always want to better themselves and all the rest of it, I think anyone, male, female, young or old, the first time you get on a motorbike and start riding like on public roads, you do feel quite vulnerable and you do have moments of like, oh shit. And, you know, you know, linking back to your YouTube video, you know, we go around corners where we think I fucked it, like, and, you know, and, and something's just gone wrong. And that, like, I've had so many of those moments where you're just like, ugh. So that sportster really helped me gain a lot of confidence. And it was only until we started doing longer, longer journeys where, um, you know, typical sportster, although not a peanut tank, he gets about 135 to a full tank. And at the time, Matt had a road king, and, you know, I was stopping twice as often as he was and et cetera. I didn't have panniers. So eventually I wanted to try a slightly bigger um, option. So the option that I ended up going with was essentially um, a CVO convertible. And it was one of those, I think it replaced the switchback where you're meant to like clip off the screen, new bike, clip off the panniers without tools, new looking bike kind of thing. Um, and she was red. There's a theme going on here. Um, but she was red. And because uh, she was a convertible, she got the name Connie. Oh, obviously. <laughs> honestly, honestly, I know I've told you this before, but I name bikes. My bike, other people's bike, even if they don't want it, they get a name. Um, Matt recently bought an El Diablo and obviously beautiful bike, absolutely stunning. He's done loads mm. of custom work to it. Um, and of course, he puts on this really cheesy voice and he calls it the El Diablo. And I'm there like, <laughs> oh, I call it Eddie. And he's like, it's like what? I'm like, Eddie, El Diablo, Ed, Eddie. It's not called Eddie. It is. <laughs> It just Sorry. doesn't, it's not the devil vibe. Eddie is not, it's not a devil, no. is it? Doesn't, no, doesn't conjure it. that cool image that I think he, he's going for. Um, <laughs> so I'm always like, oh, are you riding Eddie this week? And he's like, stop calling it that. Anyway. <laughs> so, so Connie the convertible, um, you know, took her touring all around Switzerland, the Swiss Alps. Um, wonderful, wonderful bike. We were in all around Scotland and uh, did the NC500 on her. And basically, the one thing that really messed with my riding confidence was actually cornering on her. Because she was so low, the boards would grind, like, would grind down, I'd have this massive fear, like, there's a point where grinding boards is cool when you're on something with quite tall boards, like now the new low rider ST, if you're grinding pegs, you've lent over quite far. And that's quite, you know, it's quite fun, you tend to be like, going at decent speeds or doing tight turns but back then I was doing mild turns and I was grinding boards and you know I, I started to think oh my god like I, I just can't do these corners 
with the speed and the style that I want because she just wasn't like banking over enough and it, it really started to get in my head and I you know eventually long story short I sold her because I just didn't feel like she matched my riding style um and I then said I need like a touring chassis because Matt had had a road king I'd ridden it I liked it um and then he changed to a street glide and I'm by no means like a small person I'm around five foot nine five foot ten um but I'm not particularly hench like don't get me wrong I'm not a total weedling but equally like these are heavy ass bikes yeah the one thing I found with the street glide is because the fairing is attached to the, the front forks, if I stopped like on a funny camber wanting to do a tight turn with my, you know, my bars locked for all the way over or something, Jesus, I could feel it in my arms. Like there was just so much weight attached to the forks, which was really like, it was just in my mind a lot of the time. And, um, someone said to me you want to try a road glide because the fairing is fixed to the chassis oh, right, and yeah. essentially your bars are just attached to your wheel super easy blah, blah blah so I was like okay like I'll I'll have a think but I mean still is the case in the UK um road glides are like rocking horse shit like they just don't hang around they don't they don't seem to have that many order in but when they do they fly and I'd said to Robin Hood, my local dealer, I really, really want to try a road glide. And they said, well, we're not going to have one in as a demo. Um, but, you know, if we get a used one in, I'll let you know and you can have a have a think. Anyway, I went down to the shop one day and um, Jason said to me, he says, Vicky, come here, come here, come here. I said, what? And he says, I've got something for you and I've hidden it in the back. I was like, mm. Okay, so um, <laughs> we went upstairs and he opened the like back half of their uh, kind of upstairs sales floor and there was Big Red and he was just sat there this like gloriously red metal flaked road glide that just was unbelievable and I was like and he looked massive and I was like oh my god at the same time so excited and so scared yeah <laughs> <laughs> and then I basically said to him you know, I can't, I can't decide till I ride it. And he was like, well, it's really tough with used bikes because obviously they can't let people. So Big Red had been bought by someone and the guy had put some apes on him and uh, had owned him for, I think, three months and had basically got Robin Hood to do a bunch of mods to him. Um, and then he took him home, rode him for the equivalent of, I think when I test rode him, he had 160 miles on him. Oh my um, God. Literally, he'd done nothing. And then he basically brought him back and said, it's too big for me. It's not what I want. And this is obviously a very wealthy man that can just yeah, change his bike. Change, so he yeah. changed. Yeah. So he just gave Big Red back and changed. So essentially, he came back as a used bike, even though he was like brand new. Yeah. So I said to Jason, look, if I can ride it and get on with it, I'll 100% buy it. So he was like, go on then. And I was like, but I'm I'm going to want it all day because, you know, a, a, an hour's test ride is really hard to tell. Yeah. So Matt came down to the shop with me. We got on and I took Big Red out. I put 100 miles on him for the test ride for the day. We went everywhere. We went into the peaks. We went twisties. We went gravel car parks. I took him home. I tried to get him in and out the garage myself. And like, I literally thought a day in the life of living with this bike yeah. um you know and not gonna lie Jesus that bike is heavy but I was able to kind of get on with him and I just then I was like this is the bike um 
so yeah, I've I've stayed with him now. This is my fourth year of no fifth year of ownership with him. Wow. And I just yeah, I just can't see myself changing anytime soon. Harley would have to bring out something really, really like breathtaking to make me swap I think yeah well that's awesome I love that your journey to him as well yeah and I can so see you and Matt riding down with like your red paint going on there's a a vibe going on here for sure well funnily enough I rip the piss out of him because I always say like oh like baby red you know because obviously (laughs) big red's like the dawn (laughs) again not a name he's a fan of I don't know why (laughs) no idea why But yeah, it's, I mean, like I say, Big Red is noticed everywhere we go. People often say to me like, oh, I was, let's say we go somewhere super busy, like, you know, Matlock or somewhere that you get a lot of bikers and you turn up at a bike meet and you're not always by your bike. Um, MCN festival, you know, you park your bike somewhere and you wander off and people say like, oh, I saw your bike in the car park. And it's like, that's mad that people recognize Big Red. That's crazy. so cool. I guess it's just such a eye-capturing, yeah. massive bike and you just can't miss him. And I guess if the sun's out especially and, like, the sparkle in the paint, like, that's amazing. He is so much better in the flesh than in photos. Like, I've tried a hundred times to capture that metal flake and it just it – does, it doesn't matter whether you put your camera in any kind of way, set it on any kind of setting – in person everyone says to me Jesus he's way nicer in person like not that the photos aren't nice but in person this bike is stunning um and yeah obviously I'm like (laughs) I'll stop it you (laughs) I know it's like they're not complimenting you Vicky (laughs) (laughs) it's a part of you yeah So yeah, it's so funny. funny. But I think it's also because um, you don't get many females in this country that ride big tours. There are more and more. Uh, you know, my friend Emma, she's like five foot two or something, and she throws around her CVO Street Glide like it's nothing. She is a complete badass. And for me, that's what I live for, seeing that kind of barrier be broken down, yeah. because I still get it. I still get, gosh, that's a big bike for a girl. I'm like... It's a big bike for anyone. Like yeah. street glides, road glides, they're big bikes. So, like, why add on for a girl? Because essentially, I've got mates, you know, bless Jim. He's, you know, quite a petite man. And, you know, he'll even say that he would never ride a road glide because it's just a lot of bike or, you know, he wouldn't choose to own that because it's a lot of hassle that he, he probably doesn't need. And, yeah. you know, I get that. And I still think there's a real stigma between like, what's a girl's bike and, you know, what's acceptable for a girl to ride without it being questioned. And then you turn up on a massive bagger and suddenly it's like, oh, wow, well done you. (laughs) What? Yeah, (laughs) I know what you mean. Because it's like, even with sportsters, isn't it? It's like, they say, oh, sportsters are girls' bikes. It's like, well, sportsters are just beginner bikes it's not like for girls like so many beginners into harleys just go for a sports though so it's the smallest of the bunch it's not a girl's bike like and even then i would argue that sportsters tend to be a beginner's bike because of their price point and maybe their accessibility their weight handling there are obvious 
like physical reasons for that. But you then move into sports is one of the most customizable bikes out there. So if you are someone that wants to show off your personality and really customize something, Sportsters are the like a beautiful platform to do that with. So then I meet a lot of guys that choose to own six or seven sportsters over like two or three big tourists. And they always say, people say to me, like, oh, aren't you ready to move off a sportster? And they're like, no, fuck off. I want to ride what I want to ride. And I think, again, that stereotype applies as well. It's almost like, you know, oh, it's a girl's bike. You're like, not really. It's whoever the fuck is riding it. That's what bike it is. If it's a bloke, it's his bike. If it's a girl, it's her bike. You know, it it's not a something bike. It's just whoever the hell is riding it, that's their bike. Like, yeah. Yeah. full stop. And, and you know, I, I, I get that a lot with people that, um, you know, they, they often say to me, like, oh, yeah, like, you know, I, I can't wait until I move off my Sportster. And I'm like, if your style of riding warrants it, like you like I did, I wanted the panniers and the bigger tank, yeah. go for it. But actually, if your style of riding really suits a cool custom, like you want to go fast. I mean, some of like the sports duress, man, that is a weapon. Yeah. So if that's the way you want to be riding and you want to chuck something around, you don't ever need to come off a sportster. And I think, again, there can be so much like stereotyping of, you know, what we should and shouldn't do. And you know, men and women, but particularly of women, I think. Yeah, it's so true. It really is. And it's like, like you say, everyone chooses whatever bike they think is right for them. It doesn't matter like who you are or what you've got going on. It's like, which one is best suited to you? Yeah. But it's like, I think for me being, you know, super small, like your friend, Emma, I want to yeah. be like Emma. I want to ride. Yeah. <laughs> I want to have a big red myself one day just yeah. to be like, I've done it like yeah. that is like my ultimate goal to ride for a sure. big bike like that and for sure ladies are doing it women are smashing it and I'm like they can do it I can do it I will do it one day and that to me is the right reason to want to challenge yourself and ride something like that I think that that's exactly it. I think sometimes if people like people feel pressured to move off their sportster or you know they, they're expected that's when I'm like no no you do you but like you say it's almost like it is doable you know um Em and I we laugh a lot because she has an extension to her side stand kicker because the standard ones she can't reach because obviously she's a petite lady and um when she did a campaign for us I don't know if you've seen it but there was that uh ST Hot, which basically was like shit hot performance campaign that our dealers and we ran nationally. And it was like shit hot performance. And we had souped up like an ST bagger with the Olin's front fork inserts, cool. the Olin's rear suspension. It would all it was all fully tuned. And we had M ride it for the campaign. And obviously Emma's the same, long hair. She always has like a really thick plait out the back of her helmet and it was really funny because on the day of the shoot she she said to me like the only downside was she kept having to say to the photographer can you just kick my kickstand up because it didn't have <laughs> <laughs> and then he'd kick it up and she was like yeah and then she'd just fuck Cheers. off like <laughs> oh that's so good that's so, so good. good I love that side of it and yeah again it's just one of those one of the things with social media that I do find such a positive is when people can share their experiences of all this and it is just so like um 
motivating and gives you that self-confidence that hey anyone can do this and you can do this and I love that side of it and I I don't know if you found the same obviously you connect with so many women around the world and I you know I love watching your channels and and, you know see it catching up on biker chick chat and stuff like that so for me I don't know if you found the same but in my local experience I found actually the women to be very supportive. There's a real minimal level of bitchiness in the Harley biking community. I don't know about other genres like sports bikes because I don't really go there. But like, I find that Harley women, regardless of age, what you ride, how long you've been riding, I've never really met someone that's felt particularly prickly. Everyone's been really like, yay, go you, whether you're new to riding or you've been riding for years or there's just so much love in the female Harley community that I just think, you know, I don't know if you felt any differently. This is no, why you tell me that you've I, met some real horrible people. <laughs> Everyone that comes on this podcast, bloody horrible. Not <laughs> Honestly, I, I totally agree 100%. Everyone mm. is so supportive and like, doesn't matter what walk of life you come from. And what I love about it is it, it just connects so many different people together. And it's like you would never necessarily have something to talk about, but you're both like have this love for Harleys and riding and you just connect. And I love that side of it. It's awesome. Definitely. Yeah. Oh, that's so nice to hear. It's like, yeah, it's what you want. Absolutely. So what's like one of your most cherished or like happiest moments you've had on two wheels? Oh, so many. So many, and I don't mean that in a cheesy way. I genuinely mean so many. Like, without sounding like a massive cheese ball, riding has changed my life. Like, the experiences, the places, the people, you know, I could write a bloody book on the number of times that I've, you know, just thought, is this real? Like, holy shit. But one of the most recent ones I can think of is Matt and I had done a tour with Gary France, who runs Tour One, does all these phenomenal tours around the world. Currently in New Zealand, like, dude, I want to do that. But anyway, um, I know. But anyway, um, I digress. So we led his tour to uh, Port Oroz, to the big hog rally there. And Honestly, Matt and I were riding and we'd gone with this amazing group of people and, you know, riding up through the mountains, we'd stopped and we were in the Dolomites. And I remember we'd parked up and it was this sunny, sunny day. It was just beautiful. And I was looking at these mountains that had been there for like, God, I'm going to, I don't know, thousands, thousands of years. And, you know, probably more we're talking like bloody dinosaurs probably wandered around the bloody dolomites and you know I was stood there and this lady Suze was with me sorry did that come through my mic yeah what's that the El Diablo (laughs) (laughs) oh the little baby's turned up (laughs) Eddie Eddie little red um yeah I don't know I'm unsure where my husband is going but off he goes um yeah. But anyway, sorry about that. Um, so we, we'd basically been riding and one of the ladies on tour, Suze, she we'd stopped and she got off her bike and I was like, oh, this is amazing. And she like, looked at me and she was a bit like, and I was like, are you okay? And she was like, and I was like, what's up? And then she just like her eyes were welling and I was like, oh my God, are you okay? And she was like, 
are we really here? And then like I stopped and I turned around and I was like, whoa, actually, it's like someone punched me in the gut. And I think, you know, I'm a bit of an empath. So it didn't help that she was crying because then I was like, here I go. Um, But the pair of us kind of stood there like complete weirdos, like crying at the scenery because it was just like, we rode our bloody bikes here. Like that it was just a bit like, holy crap, we're looking at mountains as old as bloody time. And, you know, you're on the, the top of the world. And, you know, I'm sta- Susan's American, never met her before, before the tour. So we were stood next to her and we just thought like, what the hell? Like, what is this real life? And so, yeah, for me, I just, one of my best memories was just thinking like, you know, the top of Furka Pass, you know, places like that where you just think like, I bloody rode here. Stelvio, you see people from Italy, from Germany, from, you know, everywhere, all in the same sheer happiness because they've just ridden their bike up that pass. Like, oh, I've literally got goosebumps now thinking about it because it's just like, yeah, for me, it's that pure emotional attachment to riding that sometimes, like I say, I just think you fucking cheese ball, but I do. No, I totally get it. Like when I when I rode up the Furka Pass, and you know, I well basically cried on the way up out of pure stress of <laughs> dealing with the bends, but <laughs> that was a different crying. <laughs> and then when I actually got to the top, and I was like, I done it! Oh my god, yeah. I actually done this! And like you say, you just you take in the surroundings, and you're like, "This is mad! I'm here right now, and I done it yeah. on that bike." Yeah, and yeah, and it's life changing, isn't it? Because, like yeah. you said, whether you're getting up there with stress or glee or whatever it is, like you're not the same person when you get to the top. Like, yeah. and and I often think like you know, that, oh, it's, oh, I make myself feel ill how cheesy I sound when I say some of this stuff. But like, you know, I do think that gratitude of being like, I've had the opportunity and, you know, to do this and be here at this time on a bike that like, oh, it just, yeah, I think sometimes you do think like, I am a different person for doing some of these adventures and, yeah. you know, having having experiences like that without sounding like a massive flannel but no, it's so true like the thing is when you do a trip like that it's the hours you're spending just inside your helmet there's no yeah. escape from that you're just on the yeah. bike in your helmet with your thoughts and just taking in the surroundings and like you know riding your bike and it definitely changes you it's true it's unbelievable. And, you know, it's funny as well, because I always say, like, once your helmet's on and you're on a Harley, like, whatever you do, whoever you are, whatever your job is, whatever, like, hierarchy you might have at work or something, no one gives a shit. You're just friends riding. And, like, my friendship group is so diverse. And we're all on our Cardo, like, we've got, like, a Cardo comms chat. Yeah. And, like... People always say to me, like, isn't that really annoying? Actually not. Because like you say, most of the time we ride listening to our music or whatever. Some people in silence. But you've got your friends there if you've got something to say. And sometimes, like, we can have a great laugh. And, like, it's just an amazing group of people that are bonded over, like, our shared love of a brand. Like, that's mad. Like, especially as a marketeer, 
working for that brand, if someone asked me how to Harley do it, I have no fucking idea. Like, <laughs> you know, I'd be a bloody billionaire if I could write that down and tell someone how to get that sheer emotional connection to a brand. Like, it's yeah. wild. And, you know, like I say, in our friendship group, we've got everything from like super successful uh, salespeople through to creatives through to a bloody veterinarian. Like we've got everything in our group and no one cares. It's literally about us and riding and that shared love of bikes. It's crazy. Yeah, that's awesome. I do love how Harley does that totally. So like, what about the other end of the spectrum then? What's like one of the most dangerous or scariest moments you've had when you're riding? So quite a few of them, you know, I've had moments where I've just thought, God, you took that wrong or, you know, oh God, blah, blah, blah. But I think one of the ones that sticks out to me, there are two actually, but one of the ones that stick out to me was uh, quite recently Actually, no, I won't go into that one. I'll go into, I'll go. <laughs> <laughs> oh, if you knew what was going on in my head, I just, um, yeah, so literally, calm it down, Vicky. Um, one of my strongest memories is um, on Rex, and uh, I was still quite new to riding. And in fact, I'd just become a road captain for my chapter, so I could lead rides out and all of it. And it was my first official ride lead. And I had about 40 people from my chapter go on my ride. And I rode, I took them through the Peak District and we rode beautiful roads, blah, blah, blah. And when we got to a little calf stop, we were then going on to a friend's pub back in Nottingham that was putting on a barbecue and everything with the chapter. And it started to get a bit grey. We were right up in like the moors kind of side and it was just really grey and a bit drizzly. And like it stopped raining, but it was the kind of like, dampness and there were some big puddles on the road and I was leading my ride and it was a strip single strip of tarmac through these beautiful peak um you know landscape and there were obviously some potholes and crap because it's roads that not many people travel on that much and um I was riding along and there was this these two huge puddles and I'd always been told you know if it's not safe to kind of get right around them and you know we're talking about a single strip of tarmac with a huge puddle right in the middle so I thought I'm not going to try aim for that tiny plain strip of tarmac on the side I'm just going to go through the middle don't do anything drastic just calm calm and it'll be fine little did I know the first one was a giant effing pothole so I basically almost smacked my face on my handlebars because the bike just dropped it came straight back up the other side of this pothole. I was wobbling all over the place. And then the second puddle was another ginormous pothole. So basically my front tire plummeted in and my bike just went left and I went right. And I slid down the road like a Superman. And I skid, honestly, I skid down this road and um, leading 40 odd bikes behind me. And um everyone had pulled over, everyone's in panic mode. And obviously my husband was the tail end. So he was the last person to get to me. Obviously he was like, holy crap. And um, yeah, I, I basically scratched all of my exhaust. I had this beautiful Vance and Hines two into one into two, like widow, widow cross exhaust that all got completely fucked up. And then like my throttle grip had been totally ripped off. And, but that, that probably to me was the first time I'd, had a full-on accident on my bike and it 
I was wearing an open face helmet that had a bubble visor. Oh, right, yeah. And luckily, because it had been drizzly, I'd attached my bubble visor. And I remember I was on the road and I'd, I'd been a first aider for years with work and stuff. So I was lying on the road and I thought to myself, before you do anything drastic, like wiggle your fingers, wiggle your toes, like how are you feeling? And I was kind of going through this mental check and I could hear people running at me, you know, Vicky, Vicky, Vicky. And I was thinking, right, I, I feel okay. There's no like sharp pains. Well, well. So I slowly sat myself up and I, I like looked forward and I thought, what the fuck is going on here? I couldn't see through the right side of my visor because basically I'd slid on my face and yeah and so that was the first time it hit home to me like I'm never riding in an open face helmet again because had I not attached that bubble like well I feel sick thinking about it like that would have been my face and yeah it like I was proper like holy and so I think that was the first time like my mortality (laughs) was really kind of flagged up to me as like dude you could you know you really need to think about what you're choosing to ride where you're choosing to go like because yeah and I you know up until then it had been pretty much like you know roses and rainbows and all you know really great fun and I just remember thinking like oh crap so I've got no problem what, what anyone else chooses to wear you know um, it blows my brains that like in some states in America they don't have to wear helmets yeah, like, that's crazy, so crazy. Um, and you know if I was in one of those states would I oh I don't know you know like part of me would be super curious but then the other part of me is like can What's you imagine how much it will hurt when a bug hits you <laughs> those things yeah. are like torpedoes oh my god just for that fact alone I will never do it <laughs> Even if, like, they hit you on your neck, like, here on your chest, I'm like, oh, my God. I know. It's like got stabbing me with a knife yeah. or something. You might as well have thrown a cat at you. Like, honest <laughs> to God, it's like, Christ. So, yeah, I feel like whilst the, the sensible side of me is, like, all the gear all the time, I don't want to be one of those people that, you know, for a second, I don't preach that. It's just for me, yeah. after my accident, I really was like, holy crap, like, that was my face. Um, or that could have been my face so yeah for me I think that was my most like scary moment of of realization so yeah yeah. sure luckily not that many of them that's good (laughs) that is good (laughs) but sometimes it does take something like that for you to just almost respect what you're doing again it reinforces that thing that we are on these weapons like these absolute machines and things can happen it's not even your fault maybe like the pothole it's not your fault but we're on these like crazy machines and things can happen so you're best off just kitting up it's not really worth the risk yeah and like I say you know I've got plenty of friends that ride in like converse and jeans and t-shirts and whatever like you do you babe I'm honestly I you know I ain't going to preach to anyone what they should or shouldn't be doing. But for me personally, yeah. And it's like the conversation you and I have had before about makeup and hair. You know, there are women out there that I just think they have their ponytails blowing out the bottom of their helmet and they look like a million dollars. And I just think if I could look like that, I'd be right there with you. But I am that girl that 
plaits a plait so tight, wrings it around her bloody neck, tucks it under 600 layers of clothing to try and make sure that I don't look like I've been dragged out of a hedge backwards by the time I get somewhere. And I still managed to look like that girl. Anyway, so. <laughs> You and I both, Vicky, you and I both. <laughs> I need to care more about that I need to like you know but yeah I won't worry about that (laughs) but you know I have done the whole like when I first started riding actually because when I first jumped on a Harley I just didn't feel like I had the control that I felt like I had when on the bike I learned on you know it's Kawasaki or whatever the hell it was and I was like I can't feel my feet in these motorbike shoes that I've got so I'm like I'm wearing my Vans I feel comfortable in my Vans I can feel all the gears I can feel the controls I'm wearing Vans and so I wore Vans for ages and then Mm. it sort of hit me like I saw a video like online of what would happen if you were wearing vans like and obviously your foot just gets mangled and I was like ah yeah I'm I'm you know I'm skilled enough now to ride in boots I should wear boots and I do and I do find like the motorcycle industry is changing slowly could be faster, guys, if you're listening. Yeah. Um, but it is changing slowly to actually fit women and give us more choice so that we don't have to look like bin bags or, you know, sacks of potatoes anymore. But I do feel <laughs> I do feel like that is moving better. You know, we've got I remember you used to go and look, say, like, oh, can I look at your female boots? And they'd all have like a cute heel. And I'd be like, don't get me wrong, I, I can appreciate a cute heel, but like anything else? And I'm lucky to have big boat feet so I can actually get away with men's boots a lot of the time. I'm a UK size seven, so I'm often at like the smallest size available for men. But I even found that they had more choice in like a boot looking boot, you know, like that looks like a Timberland or that looks like a Doc Martin. But now, you know, and, you know, brands like Harley are catching up and we're getting a much better selection of like cool, functional, wearable riding gear um that actually makes you still feel like you can hold your identity that you'd hold off the bike yeah on the bike so yeah that's so true yeah I mean because actually truth be told I've got a pair of Harley Davidson boots but I don't find them the most comfortable but they're waterproof so if I'm worried it might rain then I'll put them on but they're not my most comfortable pair and I do wear my Timberlands or my Doc Martens because I'm thinking well do you know what they're pretty hardy boots they're all right they're not actual motorbike boots <laughs> but it's still got a bit of me inside there because I'm the same as you all my hair tucked in and when I've got like my full kit on you wouldn't be able to tell if it's a man or a woman or who is under there so at least if I've sort of got my boots on I'm like oh yeah it's me under all this <laughs> yeah and that is really true like don't get me wrong I don't think there's a man or woman out there that looks super sexy in a set of waterproofs just putting that out there if someone's going to prove me wrong go for it but you know I think like on a nice sunny day, a warm day, now we are getting gear that lets us still feel like we can retain some form of shape should we want to. Yeah. You know, there are women out there that are very much like, I don't care, I don't need tight fitting gear or whatever. You know, great. But I, I would say I would prefer, sorry, <laughs> I would say I would prefer that. Like I would rather wear like fitted 
leggings that have armor and that are completely like abrasion resistant, but I still want to look like I'm in a fitted item of clothing. Yeah. Um, and it's the same for jackets. You know, back in the day, you used to get a jacket that was cut like this and it was it would stop at your belly button because yeah. men tend to have shorter torsos. And I remember the first Harley jacket that I got gifted. I said to Matt, I love it. But like even reaching for my bars, it would ride up my back. Like I just feel like now there's a definite positive shift in the industry where we're starting to see functional, beautiful riding gear and choice for women. That isn't just like, we'll call it a lady's jacket because we stuck a pink fucking butterfly on it. <laughs> Do you know, it's so funny that you said that because like, I got into riding through my dad being having a Harley, like growing up and stuff. And he got his his bike all customed at the local Harley dealership. And, you know, we, we went in there and he was like, right, like, let's get your proper jacket if we're going to be doing some trips together and stuff. And it was that classic leather jacket it had the pink <laughs> harley sign on it you had some little pink flowers or something like that i was like yeah sure that's <laughs> it's the best option so <laughs> yep yeah and that used to be it that was kind of how you would denote male from female if it had one of those god-awful filigree semi-tribal swirly yeah. things that made it female if it was pink or purple that made it female you know and it was just a bit like Christ can we not just have something that actually fits females regardless of what bloody color it is and I feel like that's changing I do feel like it's changing that is true so what advice would you give someone like a lady listening to this if they thinking right I want to get into working with Harley like maybe they're already a rider and they're thinking I want to actually work for this brand like what advice would you give them into the world gosh that's a tough one because uh, you know it would really depend what their skill set is because there are many ways to work with a brand and especially like Harley you can work in a dealership you know we've got wonderfully skilled uh, people who sell motorcycles service motorcycles sell merch A&L parts accessories Um, you know there are so many ways in dealership you can work with a brand and be a guardian of that brand and then obviously if we're talking about a central office we need everything from you know analysts through to uh, admin through to marketing through to sales so there are loads of jobs I think the key thing would be um, obviously network with people that you know don't be afraid to approach people have conversations um, and also don't be um, blinded by just the brand so I was saying like for myself I don't actually work for Harley even though I only work for Harley, if that makes any sense. Yeah. So, um, you know, for me, working in marketing actually was a way in. And like my agency at the minute, we're recruiting two junior roles. And we've stated on there, like, would ideally have a preference and a love for motorcycles. And if anyone was savvy and they looked at my company, you'd see that we work with Harley and you put two and two together, hopefully. But um, the thing is, often the role will go out as like, say, junior content creator or um, junior PR and media manager or something like that. And you'll get people that are interested in motorcycles or have the skill set for PR and media. So I I think the key thing is like, don't be afraid asking who agencies are that work with brands as well, because, you know, we have brands 
all motorcycle brands will need to work with logistics company who move bikes around. So if you're interested in that side of things and like driving for the brand, it doesn't have to be, I work at Harley Davidson, I work at, you know, X brand. There are so many ways to be involved with a brand and um, volunteering is a massive, massive way. And that's essentially how I kind of got my name on the radar. So with Harley, I just used to say to the previous CEL, like if there are any events where you want some help on the stand, love the brand, I can talk to punters, like I'm more than willing to come to an event, you know, be at the stand and you know help on the jump start, teach people to ride. And that's literally how I started. And they'd be like, yeah, come along, obviously every brand loves a genuine enthusiast and owner. Um, you know, Emma, she doesn't work for the brand, but she's part of our demo crew. She takes people out when we do demo rides at certain events and stuff. And, you know, that is through purely loving to ride one of her gazillion bikes, you know, that that's the thing. And so for me, someone wanting to get into the motorcycle industry, like be bold, be, be brave, approach brands at shows and say, you know, is there, you know, I, my skill set is, content creation or, um, you know, journalism or data and uh, and analytics, like, is there an opportunity? Where can I look for them? Do you have agencies? And I think if you're bold and go for it, then, then like, I would love that to happen to me. If someone came up to me and said, I want to work with that brand, how do I do it? I'd be like, great, I've got these two jobs. What are your skill sets? (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. I really like how you put that, actually. Like, because it does, like, you just think of Harley as a brand and you just think of it all within that. But actually, you don't, you're not then thinking, oh, well, there's this side to it, which will be taking care of this team and then that team. And there are so many different avenues. Sure. I mean, I've got a friend that is a purchaser for a, that's probably the wrong word. I don't know his official title, but for a medical company and he buys and sells products and all the rest of it. And like Harley will have that. We'll have a purchasing department that will like pick in the clothing and the licensees. And so often people think, well, I, I don't, like sell bikes so I can't work for Harley. And I'm like, no, no, every brand needs a huge range of skill sets. And you've just obviously timing for availability is one thing, but it is just about thinking wider than maybe just what you can see in the exact brand. Yeah, yeah, no, I fully appreciate that. And, you know, actually something I've been looking into recently from like my other chats with um, the girls in the States, particularly, they're really good at taking these advanced classes. Like maybe they'll get their first like bigger bike or whatever. And they're thinking, I'm going to take an advanced class. I want to like get my skill set a bit better. And I thought, I would really love to do something like that. You don't hear of it as much in the UK. No, you don't. And I think that also there's a huge variety in the States for um, licensing. So obviously, and this, you know, I'm not going to pretend I know everything about the US in terms of their licensing, but in the UK, to be legal on UK roads, our Mod 1 and Mod 2 is intense. So, and I don't mean this in any disrespect to any American riders, but once a UK person is on the road with a motorcycle license, they are trained to quite a high level of technical skill. So I think in this country, when we talk about advanced riding, we are really talking about like 
real technical skill in riding and riding at speed, cornering at speed, like moving through traffic, things like that. And for me, that's when brilliant companies like IAM, Roadsmart, Rosper, things like that come in. Um, and like Hog, interestingly, have just come up with a partnership with IAM, Roadsmart, um, where they're going to offer a discount on advanced riding courses because that exact thing you've just said, a lot of people are good riders, but riding a big, heavy bike is very different from riding a Kawasaki or, you know, a Honda Hornet or something much more nimble. So actually getting an advanced rider course on a bigger bike can be so beneficial for you to learn how you are with that bike. So I think in the States, there's a lot more selection Mm. because like I watched I can't remember her name now but I watched this wonderful woman talk about how she got her um like her ticket she kept calling it and she went on a bike she'd bought like she bought a Harley she rode it to this place did a day's riding and got her ticket that let her ride and I was like yeah sorry what I know (laughs) I know and and then that was it and she says oh I'm thinking of taking a course and I was like Hold on. So you're now fully legal on the road and now you can decide if you want to take a course of lessons. So I think you hear a lot about these advanced tickets and courses because there's probably maybe less initial hoops that people have to jump through. Um, Also, the riding style can be quite different. You know, I love America for how wide the roads Mm. are and how much space you have in the UK, like filtering you can barely get two bloody lorries side by side, let alone anything in between the two lorries side by side. So I think it's just a different world. But definitely DVLA Advanced Rider, IAM Road Smart do an advanced rider course and Rosper, I think, do a whole system of it. But definitely worth doing. I think they're, they're... a very empowering thing to probably yeah definitely and it's like you almost just want someone uh, you know of a supposedly higher level of riding than you are to say do you know what you're doing good you're looking good out there validation (laughs) yeah or the opposite if they might turn around and be like actually this is all right but you should work on that you've slipped into a bad habit with that and just to improve your skills like I would love to do a course like that to be a better rider. I mean, who doesn't want to be a better rider? Oh, a hundred percent. And, you know, it's funny you say that because I think the courses will help with that, but also, and you'll be in a similar situation to me, like having Josh who rides quite a lot and has been riding for quite a while, riding with other people that maybe have a skill set slightly higher. When I first learned, you know, having my chapter around me, I was able to go out surrounded by 40, 50 people that have been riding for a while and you pick things up. Mm. Now, my little kind of close-knit friendship group, I look at, you know, some of the rides we do, I look and I think, God, all of these people are phenomenal riders. You know, I joke, but like riding with M, for example, she's an absolute demon. Like, <laughs> and you do just think like, Riding with people who are great riders rub off on you. You know, you learn things, you pick up things, you follow lines, you see techniques, you, you know, even when they start breaking, you pick up a lot of this stuff. And I think for me, I'm super keen to like 
reiterate that to people. Don't be afraid to ask people you know that are better riders to follow you or for you to follow them. Yeah. That's definitely how I did most of my learning. Yeah, definitely. I, I started just like that. I, my dad, like the first, you know, summer of passing my test, me and my dad got out as much as possible and he would follow me or I'd follow him and I'd just look at his lines around the bends and sort of yeah. take note of that and follow and and then you just sort of you know figure yeah. out your own thing don't you yeah. but like you I want your own bad habits yeah <laughs> that is so true <laughs> you know I'd love to actually do a mod one on my bike because yeah. Just straight away, I know right now, if I don't go and practice, I could not do the sl- the slalom on my bike. All those cones would be mowed down. <laughs> it would be a foul, 100%. <laughs> I think for me, it's the U-turn. Yeah, okay, that one too. I mean, on my Sportster, the U-turn, not too bad. I have got better at um, fully turning the bars um but doing it with a bit of extra speed definitely harder for sure oh Oh, see I find easier so like for me with big red oh yeah plowing up Stelvio I was loving life because I've got the speed and almost that that knowledge that even though I'm lent right over my boards I mean fucking hell my footboards were like knife edges when I came back from that tour like I just loved every second of those hairpins but because I've got speed, I trust the lean because I feel like it's just going to roll on through and stand back up. Whereas at slow U-turn speeds, I'm like, well, I hate that tottery feel because I'd never lean him over going at like three mile an hour because you just go plop. So yeah. for me, that really slow speed stuff, I'm like, oh, that's just horrendous, I think. But yeah yeah that that would probably be my worst thing but I've always said as well and I always promote this when people ask me like oh gosh you know men or women ask me like oh big red's really big how do you maneuver him round I'll always say to them I couldn't give a shit if I do it in one or a 17 point turn like just don't let anyone pressure you take your time do whatever it needs to be so whether I get a u-turn or I'll see you in 75 turns (laughs) I don't care (laughs) you know and and sometimes I'll surprise myself and I'll do a turn I think I actually nailed that like then what I was worrying about and other times I'm like well you've completely fucked it and then I'm like it doesn't matter though I'll just you know Hold all the traffic up. Sorry, guys. Soz, soz, soz. <laughs> oh, so funny. But, yeah. you know, uh, that is cool that there are some more advanced, like, classes over here. But what I'd really love to get involved with is, like, a women's only Harley advanced class and just to make it, you know, like a thing that we can Let's get make together. it happen. Yeah, it would be so good, wouldn't it? Because it's like girls supporting girls and slightly different um, technical things, I think, sometimes for women. Just the whole weight aspect. Because generally speaking, men are stronger and they can, you know, it just pick the bike up easier there's no doubt about it so girls have got to figure out a different kind of skill set for that 
Yeah, um, definitely. I just think that would be so cool to just get a group of women together. I think we make it happen. Like, like I say, I am have a partnership with Hog. I think I'm sure we could approach them and just say we're really looking for this like ladies Harley day and just get a bunch of women together in this super supportive environment. That would be sick. Yeah, that would be so good. I'd love that. Let's definitely mm-hmm. do that. That would be really Come on good. I'll, I'll write the email tomorrow. <laughs> so within my podcast I usually do a game of would you rather but I already know your answer to all these questions (laughs) I know for a fact big red is gonna win every time like it's not gonna be a big deal Mm, yeah I mean you you ask me whatever you want chick I'm one of those people that probably overshares so there's probably no question I won't answer but um (laughs) but yeah well what I usually do is I get your favorite food your dream destination and your favorite car if you have a favorite car yeah and I'd say you know would you rather and I big red would be at stake so let's well let's give it a go what's your favorite food dream destination and favorite car okay so favorite food is uh Chinese dim sum 100% every day of my life could live off it every day of my life um (laughs) I wish I knew how to make it like properly um dream destination was where we went on our honeymoon we went to the Maldives it was quite literally paradise on earth. Now, the only downside to the Maldives is they are tiny sand-based islands. So riding a Harley probs ain't really going to happen around there. So like dream destination, paradise-wise Maldives, dream destination riding-wise, probably like Hawaii or somewhere very like rideable paradise. Mm. Um, And... um, (laughs) terrible for my dog uh and I would say probably favorite vehicle is our truck we have a massive souped up like red shocker Nissan Navara and it's like this big beefy just oh his name's mega red he's just a massive massive (laughs) like Megatron yeah exactly that oh my gosh yeah so many people like mega red I'm like yeah Yeah. like like Megatron mega truck Like Megatron, Mega Truck, Mega Red. Yeah, yeah. I, got that. I know. Thank you. <laughs> that is validation right there. Transformers fan over here. <laughs> if that wasn't obvious already, I got you. I got you. <laughs> oh god. But so, yeah. okay then. In that case, would would you rather eat your favorite Chinese? every single day it's your favorite chinese meal or but never have your big red again big red disappears forever or you have no. big red and no never the chinese it would be big red okay i thought 100%. so yeah thought there's so. plenty of other chinese food that i can eat it's fine. yeah <laughs> so what about your dream destination then well let's say hawaii for example you could yeah. ride around hawaii but not yeah. on big red um well I still own Big Red at home or is um, Big Red gone well sure sure you can still own him at home but you should never be able to ride him around Hawaii fine was never planning to take him there so I'll do Hawaii <laughs> as long as Big Red stays at home <laughs> a bit of a cheeky answer there I mean if it was if it was ride Hawaii 
and never see Big Red again or have Big Red and never ride Hawaii, I'd, I'd probably, um, you know, that would be a, that actually would be a tough one because I feel like as attached as I am to my bike, I also try to live this life of like not getting overly attached to material things, but being more attached to building experiences and memories. So in that instance, I would be like, oh, but if I could have them both, then yes, please. Okay, well, uh, all right, then let's put you in the harder situation because you totally twisted my words then. You, <laughs> you tried to get out of this hard question. <laughs> <laughs> that was so sneaky. <laughs> yeah, okay. Harder situation. I probably would rather have the experience and memories of riding Hawaii and lose Big Red in the knowledge that I already have experience and memories with Big Red. Mm-hmm. So he would want me to continue to grow my memory banks. So. <laughs> He would, he would. Okay, <laughs> fair enough. Um, so what about the truck then? Mega Ooh. truck, mega red. Mega red or big red, you can only keep one. Oh, that's so tough because mega red also pulls this huge fifth wheel camper we've got where the back drops down and we can ride our bikes in, they get strapped down. It's got full living, full kitchen full bathroom so like we'll always need to own a truck as long as we have that camper and god that's a tough one then actually i know i know so i feel like i don't actually know (laughs) i I don't actually know i feel like big red would win ultimately because i could always just get another truck like like mega red i'm not as attached to mega red as i am attached to big red yeah 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 sure i get that Hmm. okay just (laughs) oh that is so funny so mickey just to wrap things up then i want to ask you one more question if you could go back in time to when you first started riding what advice would you give yourself oh my gosh i would literally say trust your gut I think that that has 100% helped me through my riding career with down to who I try, like, try and ride with and trust all the way through to thinking I should change my bike and overthinking whether I should change my bike and what people will think and blah, blah, blah. Actually, I've always gone with my gut and it's always been the right way to go. So if I went back, I would say like some of the hesitations that I've had or the the overthinking would probably go if I just could say to myself no no trust your gut because that is the right way to go definitely that's cool I like that advice that's awesome well thank you so much for your time and joining me on my podcast thanks for having me genuinely love the whole concept of it love you love all of it so ladies day is gonna happen I like was not fucking around I'm writing that email (laughs) yeah that's what I love about you, Vicky. You're just like making this happen. Yeah, <laughs> this is get shit done. <laughs> well, we'll uh, we'll have to update everyone on our movements with that, and we Definitely. can film a full vlog of doing a, a full ladies' day, and that'll be so good. I'm excited already. Let's do it. Let's Me too. It. <laughs> Thanks again, Vicky. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Biker Chick Chat. If you did, please don't forget to give it a like, thumbs up, 
subscribe, comment, follow, all that jazz, you guys know what to do. And if you'd like to see more from Vicky and myself, you can find us on all our socials. I'll link in the description below. Thank you again, and I'll look forward to seeing you on the next one.